the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sin, is it a figment of our imagination? Contrived notions by those who feel necessary to come up with excuses, or is it reality? Let's talk about that next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. You know, so many in our current culture would tell us that sin is not real. It's just a series of choices, good or not so good. We tend to whitewash what sin really is. And here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, we continue with our series called The Reality of Sin. And that's exactly what we're doing, taking a look at the reality of sin and its consequences. Join us with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. If you would, please turn to chapter 3 of Genesis, and we will read once again this week, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You, shall, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We're talking about one of the most important, most practical, and most personal subjects that any preacher can ever talk about. And yet, one of the most unpleasant subjects. And that is the subject of human sin and rebellion against God. Yet, as we saw last week, as we began looking at this subject, if we don't understand it in all of its implications and all of its ramifications and aspects, then we will suffer as a result of it. We will have deficiencies in our understanding of the gospel, We will have deficiencies in our behavior that we would not have had if we understood what the Bible says about human sin. The most tragic event in the history of mankind is recorded in the third chapter of Genesis. For there in the third chapter of Genesis, you see the transition of the human race from a state of perfection and absolute acceptance with God to a state of rebellion against God with all of its degradation, misery, and death. 
That is one of the two central turning points of the entire human race. When the human race made the transition from perfection and acceptance with God to sin and rebellion against God. And the second great transition of the human race is in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the new race of men and women in Christ make the transition from God's curse and condemnation and our sin back into a condition of being under God's favor and full acceptance once again with Him. So last week we began looking at the subject of sin. We saw, first of all, its origin. Sin did not originate with God. Although, as I said, it is fully under His control. Sin originated with Satan the tempter, who came to man with the purpose of tempting him to rebel against God. And we saw that Satan is merely a created being. He is in no way, shape, or form equal to God. He is merely a created being, and he is monstrously and totally evil. There is nothing whatsoever about him for anyone to admire. And we saw that all of his tactics amount to this, that what he tried to do and succeeded in doing with Adam and Eve, he tries to do with us every day of our lives, and that is to inject unbelief into our minds so as to produce disobedience in our behavior. That is the ultimate goal and purpose of all of Satan's strategies, all of his tactics in this world, to inject unbelief in God and a distrust of his work into our minds. Because he knows that whenever unbelief and distrust in God takes root in our minds, it will always produce some measure of disobedience and rebellion in our lives. If he can get you and I to live a life of disobedience against God, rebellion against him, he has won, and we may be ruined forever. We saw also last week where God put the blame for the first sin. He didn't blame man's environment. He didn't blame man's lack of education. He didn't blame man's limitations, his infinitude. He did not blame any kind of biochemical cause in a man. God blamed man for his own sin. It was man's decisions, man's actions. It was his inexcusable and irrational choice to rebel against God. The Bach, beloved, cannot be passed to anything outside of man that made him do it or any physical or any biological thing within him that makes him sin. Man's sins against God, man does sin against God because he chooses to do so. <coughs> and he is fully accountable for his own sin. We also saw last week and trying to understand the very nature of temptation so that you and I, so that we can be on guard with when temptation comes, that there is, an all, there is always an interplay 
between internal and external forces when temptation comes and we give in to it. There is something you see that you want. A course of action or whatever that you know God doesn't want you to follow or God doesn't want you to have. And yet the desires and the cravings and the sinful lusts of your own heart, unless they are disciplined and controlled, go out after that coveted thing. And then when the desires of the heart embrace that coveted thing, which the heart wants with all of its strength, sin takes place, and the consequences begin to spread throughout your life. (coughs) Also, we saw something of the character of sin. What is sin? Who defines sin? Sin is not something we defined it to be. Sin is not something our culture defines to be so. Our culture and traditions may define things as sinful, which are not sinful. In fact, our culture does call things sinful that are not sinful. Our culture and tradition also says things are good and right, which the Bible declares as sinful. So you can't trust your tradition. You cannot trust your culture. They are all influenced by sin. We are not given the responsibility by God to define sin. We are not the standard of right and wrong. Our experience nor our logic are the standards by which we determine what is good and what is evil. We do not have that kind of competence, beloved. Even if our minds... We're not blurred and confused and distorted by our desire to play God, just being finite creatures of Almighty God. We still wouldn't have the competence, nor the ability, nor the right to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. The only person who can distinguish good and evil is God, and that is why He has given us His law in this book. We also saw last time in Romans that God gave his law to identify sin for us so we can define it according to his word. What it is, what's right and wrong, what's moral and immoral. We saw in 1 John that sin is defined as lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Our catechism phrases it this way. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It is any overt breaking of the law of God, any negligent disregard of the law of God, that is sin. The only way we can define sin is in terms of the law of God. Sin is not a feeling. Sin is not something you can touch. Sin is not something that you can taste. Sin is the transgression or the disregard of the law of God by sinful creatures. Whenever we know in our conscience, which, by the way, has the word of God written upon it, and we also see it clarified in the written word of God, and he says to us, Thou shalt not... And we say, God, I know you don't want me to do this, but I want to do it anyway. That is rebellion against God. 
when we follow the cravings and the desires of our own heart in spite of the fact that that which we crave is forbidden by God's law, we sin. So whatever is forbidden by God's law, and we do it, it is sinful. Good is whenever we obey the law of God. The only standard in the whole universe by which any of us can ever tell the difference between right and wrong is the word of God. Do not ever follow the advice of so many people today that say, let your conscience be your guide. Now, the word of God is written on the human conscience, and we do feel guilty when we do some things that are wrong, and it does actually congratulate us when we do some things that are right, because that's its function. But if you are not a believer... In the Lord Jesus Christ, your conscience is all fouled up. It will make you feel guilty for some things that it should congratulate you for. And then it will congratulate you for some things that you should feel guilty for. And even as a Christian, if your heart and your mind are not being continually educated by the Word of God, it is still capable of misleading you. So be in the Word, beloved. The one and only standard is not what your granddaddy says. It is not what the Supreme Court of the United States says. It is not the traditions and mores of the United States. And it is not your conscience. The only standard that is absolutely trustworthy to identify for us what is right and what is wrong, what is sinful and what is not, is biblical law. And if you reject biblical law for whatever theological or rational reason, you will walk in darkness for the rest of your life. And you will never truly know the difference between good and evil. And when you disregard the biblical standard of right and wrong, mark my words, when you disregard this one standard by which you identify what is sinful and what is not, you will always call good evil, and you will call evil good. Now, there are several ways we can identify the specific character of the first sin that was ever committed in the human race by Adam and Eve when they were tempted by sin, by Satan, and they ate that forbidden fruit. In many ways, as uh, many of, uh, by uh, someone that all of you know, Pastor Francis Lee said, when they eat that fruit, they broke all of the Ten Commandments. And Dr. Lee has written actually all kinds of very helpful things to show us how all of the Ten Commandments of God were broken in the eating of that one fruit. But I want you to understand, in the eating of that one fruit, it wasn't some little story or fairy tale of how the whole human race fell into sin, although it does seem frivolous and so innocent. But it was one of the most heinous crimes ever committed by any man or woman when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. In fact, as I said last week, 
The character of the first sin is the character of every single sin that has ever been committed since. And as heinous and as gross and as immoral and as blasphemous and as rebellious and as disobedient as that first sin was, every sin that has ever been committed or ever will be committed in your life has been of the same nature. At its root, all sin is the same. Now, let's identify the specific nature of sin in a variety of ways as it is seen in Scripture. There are lots of ways we can see it. So, I'm going to say it in a variety of ways so you can see the full-orbed picture of what sin is. And hopefully that you will come to learn to absolutely hate it. Not only because of what it did to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ but also because of what it does to you and what it can do to your children and the entire human race. First of all, that very first sin, just like every sin sense, is a rejection of God as the final authority of life. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, what they were doing was rejecting God as the final authority for their life. God had told them what was true. God told them what was good. God told them how to live. And by eating that fruit, they were rejecting all of that. They were saying, we want to be the authority for our lives. We don't believe that God's explanation of truth and goodness and morality is accurate. We want to be our own standard for these things. And when when anyone ever sins against God, they are saying the very same thing and rejecting God as the final authority of their life. God, I know you spoke on this issue, but forget it. I'm going to do it my way. So the first sin can be defined as a rejection of God as the final authority of life, which is what we do. Every time we sin. Secondly, that first sin can be defined as a transfer of trust from God to Satan and to man. God had given them every reason to trust him simply because of who he is. For that reason alone, they should have trusted him to speak the truth to him, to provide for them, to bless them. But instead of trusting God to speak the truth, instead of trusting God to bless them and provide for their lives, they deliberately and self-consciously said, God, we are going to trust ourselves and in Satan. Because you see, whenever you turn from God, it is not just yourself you are trusting in. It is always ultimately Satan that you are trusting in. You cannot turn away from God without turning to Satan. Every time in your life as a lost person or even as a Christian, when you sin and you deliberately turn from God, at that moment in time, at that second, at that instant, you are turning to embrace Satan every single time. 
It is not just yourself that you trust and say, I don't trust God anymore. I'm going to trust myself. And as if that wasn't enough. It is a deliberate turning from God and an embracing of Satan. Then there is a third way that we can define that first sin. That first sin was an attempt to break free from God's claim on all of our life, motivated by a desire in man to play God. That first sin, just as every sin since then that you have committed, was an attempt to break free from God's claim on all of life, motivated by a desire in your heart to play God. God said, Adam and Eve, you can eat from every tree in the garden. It's all yours. But there's one tree that you can't eat of. And it's not because it's magical or because it's even poisonous. But that one tree, I don't want you to eat of it. And even every time you see it, I want you to remember I am the king and you are my subject. I want you to remember, Adam, who is boss. That is all that tree was there for. I want you to understand who is the lawgiver and who is the law keeper. I want you to understand, Adam, who makes up the rules of the game, who sets the boundaries for life. And as long as you live by my rules, says the Lord, and as long as you live within the boundaries and the limitations that I set for your life, which are there for your own protection and your own good, your life will be blessed by me. But if you step outside of those boundaries and you disregard my rules and you act as if you are the one who makes up the rules for the game, then you step into darkness And right over the precipice. And you fall to your death. That is what the first sin was. And that is what sin has been ever since. It is saying, Lord, I'm going to break free from your boundaries. I'm going to break free from your rules. I want to be God. I want to make the rules. I want to be the lawgiver. I want to decide what is good and what is evil. Oh, I know what you said, but I want to live by my own rules. I want to be my own God. And you know, that is not an exaggeration. If you really examine your own heart, heart, whether you are a Christian or not, you will recognize very quickly, if you have any honesty in your heart at all, that every time you and I sin, it is an attempt on our part to be God in our lives. And you see it everywhere. I heard a song just the other night, and its main refrain and the whole point of that song was, I'm going to be God tonight. Those are words right from the song that we're saying over and over again. My rules were govern the situation with this woman. I'll have my way with this woman. I will be God tonight. Today's music, beloved. I will be my own God tonight. 
Then, of course, there are men like Barack Obama and many men just like him in Washington, D.C. and in our state governments who have godlike mentalities and think that they are above their constituents and above the law and that they should be reverenced by we mere mortals. God's law is the last thing that they ever consider before they write new legislation. After all, in their minds, they've got it all figured out. They are their own God. Sin is a desire to play God in your life. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. it makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408-866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. <music> 